Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. A very good morning, and you're welcome to this week's Signpost webinar. Um, we're joining you from the end of a busy week of the ploughing. Uh, we hope you all had a, a good week there and uh, that you, you managed to get your cars out okay. I know it was a slippery few days towards the end, but uh, I think everybody got a, a, a good good uh, kick out of the ploughing this year. And uh, we do hope you got a chance to call into the Chagask uh, Marquee as well, where there was lots to see there. So, look, we hope you're keeping safe and well and uh, wherever you're joining us from today. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about short food supply chains and in particular a project called AgroBridges, where the goal is to foster demand-driven innovation through a combination of decision support and other digital tools, including communication materials, training programs and events, uh, which will all be accessible in one place through the AgroBridges uh, toolbox. And uh, to tell us more about this exciting project, we have Dr. Jennifer Attard, who's a post-doctoral researcher in food systems with Chagisk, and also, and, and sorry, with MTU, beg your pardon, and then Professor Main, uh, Maeve Henshin, who's head of the Agri-Food Business and Spatial Analysis Department with Chagask. So uh, welcome to Maeve and to Jennifer. Good morning. Hi, everyone. So uh, Jennifer, you're you're based in uh, MTU. Um, uh, maybe could you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing there? Uh, yeah, so I'm part of the Circular Bioeconomy Research Group um, in MTU in Kerry. So we work on a lot of kind of, um, I suppose, projects related to adding value to biomass, for example, and different things like that. But my um, personally, a lot of the work that I do is related to food waste and food waste prevention and, I suppose, supporting local food systems and sustainable food systems that um, can withstand, I suppose, a lot of the challenges that um, we're seeing today. Good. And uh, you're coming to us from a slightly more exotic location than uh, <laughs> in the Munster region. Uh, you're you're in Malta this morning. So yeah. <laughs> uh, you're, you're, you're very good uh, to join us uh, from from your break there. So uh, we do appreciate that. And and Maeve, good morning to you. Morning, Mark. So Maeve, you're uh, heading up uh, the uh, agri-food and, and, and uh, business and spatial analysis department. I'm sure I've left something out there. You're based in Ashtown, Maeve. Tell, could you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing there? That's right. Yeah, I'm based in Ashton, but our department is based across, say, Ashton and Athenry. And our work really is based on the, the social and geographical sciences. And I suppose we're trying to address some of the, the head wrecking questions regarding kind of how can we support innovation um, in terms of more sustainable food systems? How can we develop the bioeconomy and trying to think about, you know, the, the systems level issues, the, the the linkages with the innovation system and the behavioural changes that are required um, to 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 lead to these kind of um, to, to more sustainable food systems generally, I suppose. So okay. we're, we're, we deal with a lot of the head wrecking questions, uh, but uh, not, not sure we that get, get answers to it all. But I suppose we, you know, we we try to eat the elephant one bite at a time and answer Absolutely, some of the questions yeah. at least. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, taking a, taking a macro look at at our food uh, supply chains and 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 uh, production systems. So no, that that's uh, something I think is really topical at the moment. And uh, I was at a conference there a couple of weeks ago, and uh, one of the speakers was making uh, the statement about uh, his his view was that never had people cared so much about uh, the food that they're eating, but yet 
uh, we're so far f- removed from how their food is produced as well uh, with some of these longer food uh, supply food supply chains. So, um, so yeah, interesting, really interesting area and uh, looking forward to, to both of your presentations. So Jennifer, we'll hand straight over to you and uh, we will chat to you after the presentation. Perfect. Thanks, Mark. Um, so I suppose I'll start with just an overview of uh, the project, the AgroBridges project, um, and I suppose why we're doing this. Um, so AgroBridges is all about building bridges between uh, food producers and food consumers. So trying to kind of create those closer links between the food producer and the food consumer, because very often, you know, consumers don't actually know who is making their food. And there's a lot of issues that come with that. Um, so, yeah, so I, I suppose I'll start off by explaining um the food supply chain, the way that it happens at the moment, generally. And um, so this is an example of a conventional food supply chain. So you'll have your food producer, and um, so a farmer, for example, um, growing potatoes or something like that. And that might go to, you know, the food from there will go to some kind of processing facility. And um, so say they'll get those potatoes and chop them up into chips, for example, um, and process them and package them. And then from there, um, those chips might go into some kind of like distribution system. And that could be national or it could be international as well so there's there's large distances that, that the food can cover there um until eventually it makes it to some kind of wholesale or resale point um and then uh hotel, sorry wholesale or retail point and then from there it'll either go to food service like restaurants for example or cafes or um, it'll go to your homes and that's um that's where eventually we eat the food um, so this is this is very normal. Most of the food that we eat today goes through all of this process. Um, but like I said, there's a lot of kind of challenges that happen because of this then and lots of issues that we face. So um, one of the things, for example, I think the most obvious one is the food miles and the environmental impact um, that all of that has. So if you have food that's instead of coming from, you know, your, your local areas coming from across the globe, um, that's that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of fuel that needs to transport that. That's a lot of um, even storage facilities and the energy that's required to store things and keep them chilled or frozen, for example, as they go all the way from um, the farmer to your home. And um, that's a huge amount of energy that isn't um, necessary so much if you if you shorten all of these steps. Um, another issue that we see is is food waste. Food waste is a huge issue today. I think most people know that um, almost forty percent of our food of the food that we grow is is wasted. Um, which is a huge number if you think about, for example, all of the land, all of the resources that go into growing food, um, even the land itself. If you think about all the land, like 40% of the land that's used, for example, to grow food, if we could forest that instead, what a difference that would make um, if we weren't wasting that. Um, so there's food waste that happens at every single step. There's food waste that happens on farms. Sometimes it's very unavoidable, but it does happen. And there's and a lot of the food waste that happens on farms generally, particularly with horticulture, we found um, happens due to uh, due to their contractors, for example, with retailers. Um, so that can happen, for example, they'll have to produce um, large quantities of broccoli, for example, that are a certain shape and size and so on. Um, and whatever they produce that's out of spec essentially gets plowed back into the field and not used. Um, however, if they had direct link to um, to the consumer, they could sell these products nonetheless. Um, so there's a lot of food waste that happens at each of these steps. However, if you shorten um, the food supply chain, for example, if you're not doing so much processing or if you're not um, supplying to large retailers or these kinds of things, then um, you would you very easily eliminate all the food waste that happens um, along those steps. Um, and then there's the issue of food security, of course, as well, and um, keeping food local. Um, growing our own food here, it, you know, it's very important that um, that we have our own source of um, food. So, um, 
what we're trying to do through this project is to shorten the food supply chain. So to remove, like I said, all the different steps along the way. Um, and economically, that makes a lot of sense as well. Um, even if you think about the return that farmers get um, for their food, if, for example, the, the uh, processor is taking a cut of the food and the distributor is taking a cut of the price of that food and then the retailer as well, um, you can imagine that um, what or a lot of you probably know that the price that the farmer is getting at the end of the day. Um, for, for starters, they're not deciding their price. And then it's also a very, very low price that they're getting. However, if they sold directly to their consumers, they can choose um, the price that they can get and they can set a fair price for their product that reflects um, all the work that they've they've put into growing that food. Um, so, yes, and there's there's a lot of other benefits as well. There's a lot of communication that comes if you're buying directly food directly from the farmer and um, then you're you're going to learn a lot about the food and how it's grown and you're more likely to value it and um, better as well if you know if it's your neighbor or your friend who grew the food you're less likely to throw it away rather than if there's no face or no no information at all i suppose no connection to that food and how it was grown and um, then you might think oh look that's just a euro i'll throw it away whatever um but like i said if it's if it's your friend and you know how much effort they've put into growing it and um, you're much less likely to throw it away um so um, so yeah, so that's short food supply chains essentially are those kind of shorter, shorter food supply chains. So they have as few links as possible between the person who produces the food and the consumer who eats the food at the end of the day. Um, so there's different ways that you can have shorter food supply chains. So um, there's kind of on-farm direct sales, such as a farm shop. And um, there's roadside sales or pick your own, which is less common in Ireland. Um, but there's farm level food service, which we're starting to see a little bit and community supported agriculture, which is where for example, um, people might share the risk with the producer by agreeing in the start of the year, look, I'm going to purchase um, food from you for the entire year um, and they'll pay a certain amount of money. And then if the farmer, for example, does very well, um, then the consumer will get a lot of food. And if the farmer doesn't do as well, then the consumer will get less food. But in that way, um, the farmer's risk is, is shared. So if they have a bad year, they're not going out of business. Um, and it, that's fair enough, really. And if you want to you know, have local food and support the local food businesses in your area, then that would be one way to do it. And there's other um, business models as well. There's off-farm direct sales, like, you know, vegetable box schemes. Um, and then there's there's others as well that have one intermediary. And um, so one example, for example, that we have in Kerry is um, we have like these small cheese shops. And that's really handy because it saves the producer having to kind of market and promote their own product. Um, and there is that one intermediary there that's able to be really knowledgeable on the product in the shop and say, you know, know exactly where it comes from and just be that link between the producer um, and the consumer. And they're able to kind of market it for you that way as well. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's what we're trying to do through AgroBridges is to promote those kinds of business models. It's a three million euro project over the last three years um, and it's coming to an end now in December. So we're just here to kind of show you our final results and what we've done during the project. We've created some some tools and that should uh, that should support short food supply chains. Um, and there's 15 different uh, partners in the project. So in Ireland, it's um, ourselves at MTU and uh, Chagisk, who you'll, you'll hear from Maeve now. Um, and yeah, and then I suppose I'll pass on to Maeve now. Um, and after that, I'll, I'll explain a little bit about the, the toolbox and give you some examples. Um, as Jenny said, I'm going to talk about some of the research that we did, and I particularly want to acknowledge my colleague, John Highland, who did um, a lot of the work. So I suppose, you know, Jenny was pointing out there that short food supply chains benefit because they have uh, have benefits for sustainability because they reduce um, 
food miles and things like that. But there are also indirect impacts of short food supply chains on sustainability um, in terms of learning and participation. And that's because, you know, the farmer and the consumer can engage quite directly with each other and they can, you know, have, have mutual learning and you're creating more awareness about sustainability related issues um, in, in the food system. Um, Sorry. So I suppose just um, we, there's also recognition that on the demand side as well, you know, we're not just in terms of trying to address sustainability challenges. It's not just about uh, looking at solutions on the production side. Organisations like the IPCC recognise that we also need to have demand side interventions such as modifications in terms of food choice, addressing food loss and food waste also uh, to reduce emissions and enhance food system resilience. And the short food supply chains, because of that engagement between producers and consumers, can shift attitudes towards foods. In some contexts, they can promote health because of the agricultural practices and food production and processing techniques used. For example, they tend to use uh, lower inputs. Uh, they may use more traditional heritage varieties, for example, that have kind of slightly different nutritional profiles uh, to conventional products. And local foods, because um, is oftentimes seen as fresher and less processed. And in that regard, it can be promoted as a healthy option. And obviously then on the, in terms of sustainability from the, from the farmer side, uh, short food supply chains can you know, improve farm incomes, uh, promote sustainable farm systems. And because they can also uh, support other businesses and contribute to the development of um, businesses by people off farm, they can contribute more generally to local and rural economic development. And then again, I suppose from a broader perspective, because short food supply chains promote the localization of food, they don't just preserve livelihoods. They can also support traditional farm landscapes and the rural heritage as well. So I suppose thinking about short food supply chains in the context of sustainable food systems, they have a much they have potential to have a much bigger impact than just uh, reducing uh, food miles. Uh, so because obviously for short food supply chains to work, you have to have a market, you have to have a demand from consumers. We conducted some research within the AgriBridges project to look at this issue. And look, some work has already been done in terms of asking uh, consumers what they think about short food supply chains. But oftentimes the producer and consumer perspectives have been conflated. And um, most of this work really has happened on an indiv individual country basis rather than a pan-European basis. So we know that a short changes in short food, changes in consumer behaviour have driven a renewed interest in short food supply chains. Consumers are looking for safe, fresh, nutritious food that they believe short food supply chains can provide. Some of them are also seeking alternatives to the conventional system. But even though we know that consumers can declare such interests, you know, how is that actually translating into behaviour? What are the key motivations that are driving people to enact this behaviour that they claim to, to be interested in? And what are the barriers relating to that? So we did a pan-European survey, an online survey across 12 countries um, who, who are, have partners in the AgriBridges project. And in each country, we had at least 200 responses with the results that we had almost two and a half thousand uh, consumers who participated in our service. So uh, quite a significant database to enable us to do our analysis. So the first thing we did was try to find out, you know, how many of these consumers in our sample actually bought sh um, food through short food supply chains. And if we look at the middle uh, row there on the table, you know, we've, there's about 12.9% say they did not buy any short food products, any foods 
through short food supply chains. So that means that, you know, almost 90% of consumers do. Now, there is a considerable range in that with about half of the consumers in our samples saying that they bought, you know, between one and 25% of their foods. And obviously, you know, at the upper end, then there was only about uh, almost 10% of consumers who said that they bought half of their foods through short food supply chains. Um, So then asking them about the types of products that they produced, we can see that the types of products that they purchased most frequently really were uh, fruit, herbs and vegetables, baked goods, eggs and dairy. And, you know, obviously, I suppose we'd expect due to the the shelf life of such products, they would tend to be purchased more frequently than products that might have a a longer shelf life. Uh, But so we found that meat, fish and other products, including uh, fruit and others, the other category includes juices, um, they would tend they tend to be bought um, less frequently. We then uh, looked at uh, the the analysis in terms of uh, what's happening across Europe. Again, the most frequently purchased product was fruit, veg and herbs and baked goods. And on a monthly basis, if we look at the the blue line that goes across there, that's the products that are purchased on a monthly basis in Ireland. We see that it's meat, dairy and eggs that tend to be purchased uh, with such frequency. Spain is the country there in the brown line. And that is the country that stands out to a certain extent because it is the one that has the the highest frequency across all the, all the, the product categories. And that just shows where Ireland is there. Um, And Ireland tends to be in line with most of the other countries. Um, It's just in relation to baked goods, we're we're slightly higher than than Denmark and Finland, but still a little bit off the others. And just in terms of variation, we can see most of the variation is in terms of baked goods. Um, There's quite a a similar profile across the the other categories. Um, so then asking consumers, you know, why why would they buy foods through short food supply chains? And if we look at the top bar there, we can see that the, the major motivation for consumers to purchase products through short food supply chains is really down to the, the, the sensory aspects, the hedonic aspects. It's about quality. They value the taste, freshness and healthiness of the products. Other consumer motivations uh, relate to food safety concerns, and that's with regards to uh, uh, their, their their motivations to buy through short food supply chains is because they're concerned with food safety aspects in the conventional chain. They're also motivated to support local farmers and producers support and support the, the local economy. Um, and they also buy through short food supply chains because they trust uh, short food supply chain producers. So I suppose we can see really there is a, there's a range of motivations. If we think about sustainability as encompassing economic, social and environmental aspects, we can see, right, it's, it's the it's the, the 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 economic and social aspects tend to be quite high up here whereas ones um, about the environmental attributes of the products the lower transport miles from source to store they tend to be a bit lower down in terms of of motivations there Moving on to the barriers, so why would consumers not purchase through short food supply chains? We can see that the top one there really is about access. There is a lack of local outlets, lack of market stalls, shops or restaurants that sell short food supply that sell short food supply chain products. Other barriers there relate to product affordability, such 
products are seen as more expensive than the conventional. There can be variability in product quality. Um, obviously, that's tied in to a certain extent with issues such as seasonality as well. And um, issues related to communication um, are quite high up there as well. So they, 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 consumers find they can't differentiate between short food supply chain products um, and conventional. They find that producers don't effectively communicate with them. They don't really understand the benefits of um, uh, short food supply chains. So a lot of communications related aspects there. So um, that they, they they are identified as they were identified as barriers um, from in our consumer survey. We did a, a bit of a more detailed analysis then to uh, cluster the consumers based on um, their motivation scores. So we put all their 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 scores relating to motivations into one measure, all the barriers into one measure, and the purchase frequency into into a score as well. And we clustered consumers based on their similarities across those three scores. And we found, you know, that there really isn't a clear relationship between the higher levels of frequency of purchase and motivational factors. So if we start there looking at cluster one, um, they have the lowest motivation score. So that's, if you look across the top one, they have the, the most negative score at minus 1.18, but they actually have the highest purchase frequency. So, um, you know, they're, they're not, they don't have strong motivations to purchase these such products, but they actually purchase such products quite frequently. And then if we look at the second cluster, they have the highest motivation score uh, and they have the highest barriers. Um, so that then is, is it, those barriers seem to come into play more strongly for these consumers and they have quite a low purchase frequency. So we just found really that, that there was an interesting interplay between the motivations and barriers uh, with uh, that's so the higher scores for motivations and the lower scores for barriers did not necessarily translate into higher purchase frequency. And, uh, you know, there, there's a, a we were, I suppose, we don't really know why that is, but I suppose we're hypothesizing a number of reasons for that. And I suppose one is about it's about habits. And um, if we look at the consumers on the the right hand side, uh, they have they have a uh, they have a high barrier score, and yet they have the highest frequency of purchase. And we're guessing that you know habits uh, or form a, a significant have a significant role here so such consumers are already buying such products and maybe then the the barriers are not a, a significant they not they don't feel those barriers as strongly because they um they have such habitual behavior um that the, and that they don't find bar such barriers so such so, so burdensome and we're also aware from looking at literature that there is seen to be a green gap uh, so while consumers might be motivated to buy certain products that doesn't translate into behavior and sometimes that's because uh, consumers can have competing values so on the one hand consumers might be motivated to support their local producer uh, to you know improve their environmental credentials but on the other hand they want something that they, they that is, is very tasty um, and and um, fulfills their needs from a sensory perspective so they might find that those those uh, values conflict and um, so I think it's just very interesting to see that uh, we need to do a little bit more to understand um, how motivations and barriers actually translate into uh, purchase frequency with regard to short food supply chains and looking at the size of the clusters there and and the interactions between them. And we believe there may be a greater, um, maybe be more beneficial to focus on the barriers uh, rather than um, channeling motivations. 
Uh, so in terms of addressing those barriers, um, you know, the, the access and the availability of outlets is a key one. Um, so there's a, I think there's a significant role for the local authorities to ensure the, that the you know, there are facilities to for farmers markets, um, and we've also we've come across some nice examples in agribridges whereby uh, look, farmers markets can work with uh, the re- large retailers and um, and have uh, farmers markets in place in the, the retail environment. And we have some examples of that in Cork as well. I know the the Mahan Point Shopping Centre in Cork that they have a farmers market on that site as well. So uh, there's in a, a nice kind of opportunity for the conventional retail sector and the short food supply chain kind of sector to link together. There's also significant potential for collaborative initiatives to overcome barriers. So you can have um, producer groups and cooperatives whereby different farmers and come together and give a broader product range and can reduce costs um, and sell it at, at lower price to consumers. And in relation to the, the price being a barrier as well, there's a huge potential to focus on communicating the value of the product, explaining to consumers the benefits of short food supply chains. And the AgriBridges tools that Jenny's going to tell you a little bit bit about more um, further just now are do very much address those those issues. Um, so I'll just hand over to Jenny, who's going to talk to you about the some of the solutions that we have put in place to address some of the, the barriers there and to, to support the, the frequency of consumption. Thanks, Maeve. Thanks to kind of a lot of the research there that uh, May was talking about. We were able to create a number of tools um, so based on kind of, I suppose, the barriers that we saw or the needs that we saw, um, then we created a number of tools that, that can address um, all of those barriers um, and, and, and the needs as well. So um, so we've developed 12 tools um, and these 12 tools are available online on the website you can see above there. So agribridges-toolbox.eu um, and they are completely free. Obviously, it's an EU funded project. Um, so this is free for everyone to use. And we've translated them into uh, their 12 different languages. Um, so these are the, the languages, I suppose, of the partners in the project. Um, and of course, they're they're in English as well. Um, so the tools are kind of split into three categories. So we have, um, I might start with communication and training tools. So these are basically downloadable files. Um, so PDFs, for example, that will give you tips and advice um, or, or videos as well. And that will give you tips and advice um, and, and basically just information and that can support your business um, if, if you are um looking to change over into a, a kind of shorter food supply chain type of business model. Um, and then we have event tools. So you wanted to promote your business, your food business, and you wanted to organize like an online or an in-person event. We have some tools there as well to help that. And then we have the IT tools that are more interactive, I suppose, um, such as the AgroBridges Net, which is a networking tool, um, essentially. So like uh, people who are in a local area can uh, look at uh, working together, for example, and say, look, oh, I have these facilities um, but I need this. And someone says, oh, I could use these facilities and I'm able to pay this or that or whatever. Um, so, so, yeah, so those that's kind of um, those, that's a list of the 12 tools. I won't go through all 12 of them now because <laughs> otherwise I'll be here for another hour. But I'll go through a few quickly. I've just taken a few screenshots of them just to show you um, what they look like. So this is the, the home page of the, the toolbox. And um, so you kind of create an account and log in there. Um, and the first tool that I'll show you is um, the We Need Local Food tool. So um, like it says there, so it's guidelines basically for social media. And um, so this is, like I said, it's one of those kind of just downloadable PDFs. It's really easy and it just gives you loads of information about, um, for example, the different platforms um, that you can use on social media. Some people might be more familiar with Facebook, but maybe, um, you know, 
for example, like I'd be more familiar with Facebook, but I wouldn't be more familiar with Instagram or these kinds of things. So this will just kind of give you um, some advice on what different platforms are that are out there and how to use them um, and what kind of audience you would have and age range and these kinds of things. Um, that gives you advice for how to find pictures for posting on social media um, and where to sort of download free images. And this is just a few examples now. It's a much longer document than this. Um, and it'll also give you examples of different posts that you could post. So like, you know, what does uh, a post look like? Say if you're trying to promote your food business, what are the different things that you could say in there? And what are the messages that you could that you could include? Um, so another uh, tool that we have is called the Label Me tool. And this is basically guidelines um, for labeling short food supply chains uh, for short food supply chain products or like kind of more artisan products. And um, so it can be really difficult. I imagine if you're used to maybe going into um, or, or not kind of branding your own product and all of a sudden you have to do this and you're going to maybe you've decided to uh, to sell your product locally and only in Ireland and have it as more of an artisan product. Um, then, you know, what are the rules of, of labeling your product? And um, so there's um, there's all the regulations in here. But apart from just regulations, we also have um, kind of um, advice for um, how to create a prototype and what kinds of size and designs and things, you know, on the front of a label, on the back of a label um, and different things and design tips. Again, different kind of branding aspects such as color schemes and trademarks and all of this information is, is in there in the Label Me uh, guides, which is it's very handy. Um, so the next tool that I'll explain is the support for food procurement. Um, so essentially, one of the challenges that a smaller business might have is that they might not be able to uh, apply for kind of larger tenders um, in their area. The tenders that usually come out for starters require you to produce um, large numbers of like uh, large amounts or quantities of food, uh, which if you're a small business, you might not be able to do. And um, but also the just the, the kind of rules and expectations in there might not be suitable for smaller businesses. Um, so what we've done here is we've created two guides. Um, so one is for public bodies who are releasing tenders to help them make those tenders more appropriate for smaller businesses. Um, so uh, just to make it easier for them to apply and then or, or even possible for them to apply. Um, and then we have another guide that's for the producers themselves. So if they wanted to apply for a larger tender, say, if the tender was um, okay for kind of uh, smaller amounts of foods, that would be fine. But maybe it gives them advice on how they can cooperate with other food businesses to make them eligible for um, for such tenders, which can give them really good, you know, winning tenders like this can give you a really good, uh, I suppose, it's very reliable source of income over time. Um, so I'll move on to the next one, which is the Know Your Local Food. So this is a document again, which just explains local food. Um, so it gives you, even if, for example, not just for yourselves to learn, but also if you are trying to promote your products again, um, this will give you all of that information that you need. What are all the benefits of local food, aligning them with the sustainable development goals? And, um, you know, like it explains over here, it shows you that, it, you know, you have higher quality and fresh, healthy produce, um, those producer-consumer partnerships and so on. Um, and the social benefits that local food can have. It explains um, all the different health benefits for adults and for children. And it gives you examples for how to teach all of these, even to children through great games, for example, and word searches. Um, it, it gives you advice for, for how to be a good facilitator, um, like shown over there. So the different steps for how to, how to approach teaching this subject, I suppose, or promoting short food supply chains. Um, and also just a number of different tips in terms of um, food and health and, and all the different qualities that um, your kind of fresher product can, can have. Um, so I'll move on to now one of the more interactive tools. So this is one of the IT tools, which is called Why Am I Special? 
Um, so this helps you find your unique selling point, essentially. So if you're going to market yourself, what helps you stand out over um, over other businesses? Um, so this is uh, an Excel sheet, basically. So it's very, very easy to use. And um, there's kind of steps there that you can see and um, for how to use it. So essentially, you will click on download the tool over there um, and then you'll you'll have an Excel sheet like this. Um, and I've pre-populated this now already, but essentially you'll go through a number of statements and um, enter, you can see the numbers in blue here on a score of one to five, say my product has a high quality uh, level in terms of freshness, flavor and nutritional value. And you're like, I think so. So you'd put a four there or a five or so on. Um, whereas you think that uh, maybe your business doesn't engage so much with the local community. So you might put a two over there. So you'll go through um, a good number of these kinds of statements. And then at the end of all of that, um, it will analyze, analyze your results for you. Um, and you'll come up with um, a sheet basically like this. So it'll tell you that maybe the quality of your food is really good. Um, and the sustainability is really good. The social benefits maybe are lower. Um, and maybe you have no particular sort of um, product geography benefits. So um, like those are the kinds of things where you're talking about like Sneem black pudding, for example, um, where the, the location of your, your where you're producing your product is very important. Um, and what you've scored highest in over here in this example is the health aspects and good nutrition. So if you want to really promote um promote your product and you can say look I have a really really healthy product that's what differentiates me from other businesses and then not only will we tell you that through the tool but then we'll give you advice for how to um, promote that kind of a message so then you'll click on download communication materials and for each of these um, product aspects here then you can see that um, that's there's different things that you can use to promote and it can help you um, with ideas for how to promote on social media and what hashtags to use for this particular message um, and so on. And so it says, for example, that um, this can form part of a nutritional diet and diet plans and so on. Um, so yeah, so that's the Why Am I Special tool. Um, I'll move on to the event organization tools now. So we have the Let's Build Our Short Food Supply Chains. And this is all around, this tool is all around um, online events. So it gives you advice for how to do that. Um, but today I'll just quickly run through the, the Let's Meet tool. So this is all about organizing in-person events. Um, and we actually tested this tool in March um, up in Airfield Estate and we had a great time. <laughs> it was actually really fun. And um, so there is uh, different events that you can promote here. So you could say you wanted to organize like an open day or a culinary event um, or so on. So or maybe uh, an event to promote local producers. And so what we organized, for example, up in Airfield Estate was um, a culinary event where we had like a cooking competition between a number of chefs who were all using food from local produce. And we had a great turnout for that. And it was very informative and loads of fun. And um, so essentially what this tool and how it will help you. And um, for example, if you wanted to organize an open day for your farm or whatever business you have, um, you'll just have a look through here and just download the open day events Um pack and these are the files here that you can see so there's a fact sheet for example that's all about um benefits of um that you can promote um benefits of short food supply chains that you'll be promoting on the day guidelines for how to organize an event invitations and so on so i've just put a few day a few of the examples here and um, so say this is like an example of the fact sheet here so eight reasons why you should choose short food supply chain so that's basically what you want to promote on the day um, and these are all in, in PowerPoint, so you can edit away as you like. Um, so there is, um, there's flyers, for example. So you, if you've never created a flyer or a poster for an event before, they're already, you can go in and use this as it is and just maybe put your logo in or change the photo to one of your farm and so on. 
Um, you could have a sign-in sheet for your participants just to keep in touch with them afterwards um, and or even a program of events, um, which is really, really neat and handy to have um, to have all of this ready when you're trying to organize an event for the first time. Um, and the last tool I'll explain is the decision support tool. So this is basically where you will put in information about your business um, and then the tool will essentially tell you which business model makes most sense for you. So say you clicked on farm, for example, there'll be a number of questions on the location of your farm and what you're producing and the information. So say you, it might ask you about um, the population around your area. Say you're close to a city, then you might have you know, a much higher consumer base than if you weren't and so on. And after you produce, after you kind of input all of that information about yourself, even the activities you have going on in your business, and um, it'll give you the results. So in this case, um, this person, for example, probably is producing a lot of different products. And um, so they're able to open their own on-farm shop um, and they probably are next to a good population base. So um, so they're they're able to kind of hope that, that they'll have um, a good number of customers coming into the shop. Um, and then it'll tell you all the different benefits of um, having an on-farm shop, for example. So you could charge a higher price premium um, and, you know, but you'll be selling, for example, a lower volume overall. Um, and then it'll compare that to um, to wholesale. It'll give you, you know, where your price premium is much lower, um, but your volume is much higher and so on. So it'll give you all these things. And there's much, much, much more information in there anyway. But um, I'll stop there for now because I'd say I've run out of time exactly. But um, but yeah, there's the toolbox link is there. Um, and yeah, we'll be here for questions now. Thank you. Thank you. Jennifer and uh, thank you Maeve that was a, a whirlwind tour, tour at the end there but um, I really love these types of projects because not only are you you know doing the the, the research the, the hard research but you're also producing practical tools for uh, those people to, to use at the end and I think the ones that you've shown there are I think it's fantastic uh, the, a toolbox for not not just food, food producers but anyone who's <laughs> looking to 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 uh, set up a business and to, to you know to do that sort of reflection on your your unique selling points and so on so uh congratulations and and I think it's a it's it's a, it's it's the next step is now getting that uh, promote and I suppose that's uh, part of today but uh getting it out to that wider network um could I ask just in relation to like if we look at the the Irish context my perception is that we don't really have that strong a, a tradition of farm shops uh Compared to when you go to other countries, even even going as far as the UK, there seems to be that stronger tradition there of of farm shops. Um, is is there is there is there a particular reason for that, or is it just uh, just the way that uh, agricultural uh, supply chains have evolved in this country? Um, uh, I know that a lot of our uh, the 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 food that we produce and on our farms, and particularly on the livestock farms, is exported. Um, but like you're saying here, there's, there is an opportunity to, to maybe to, to, uh, to shorten some of those food supply chains at a national level, but, but just could maybe speaking to that traditional, that tradition of, of short food supply chains here in Ireland. Yeah, no, I think I think you've a good point there, Mark. And I suppose, you know, the, the focus very much in our agricultural sector has been on exports. But there are a number of other factors, I suppose, as well, looking at this at the demand side. And as I identified, one of the key barriers was a lack of infrastructure. So the local, you know, if and if you, you compared it to the UK, but I mean if you go to France and you see all the farmers' markets, you know, in all the major cities and towns, so the, the local authority has had to 
develop that space and has to make sure that power sources and uh, clean up facilities and all of those were kind of organised. So I think there's a key role for the local authorities in ensuring such infrastructure is developed. And I suppose that's not something that we have been particularly strong on here. But the other thing is it comes down to, you know, basic demographics and populations and, and footfall as well. You know, the, the in the UK you have, you know, particularly in the southeast of England, you know, have a lot of farms would have farm shops because they are quite close to centres of population and, you know, they, they just, you know, they have the, they have the market and the footfall. So I suppose they're just a few factors that I'd be what come to mind for me anyway. And uh, just just to continue on the the, the research that you were looking at that that uh, sample that you were looked at, um, and it can relate to a question that's come through here as well, in relation to that willingness to pay for um, food that is uh, supplied more locally. Um, I mean, is there a reason why? It, should be more expensive or is 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 that just maybe a, a misconception because i know some some of the the food producers will say uh the more local foods uh, producers would tend to maybe aim for a, a slightly uh more exclusive market perhaps um maybe do we need more more of the, the people that are actually you know that can sell at a a good value to the uh, the customer, but uh, but yes, uh, still still take a decent uh, margin themselves. Yeah, I suppose there's, there's two key components to that you know. First of all, uh, people assume because you're taking out intermediaries, you're taking out costs. Mm. But you have to remember those intermediaries are all providing a function that costs mm. something. So in essence, if you're taking out those functions, you're you're reallocating the cost somewhere else. So in some instances, you're reallocating the cost to the primary producer. The primary producer now has to do the sales element, has to do the storage, has to do the communications. And then in some instances, you're expecting the consumer to do the transport bit. So if you're expecting the consumer to do the transport bit, it's reasonable that then that they might expect a slightly lower cost. And um, so there's a whole heap of different elements going on there whereby costs are actually being shifted. The same functions have to occur, but they're being shifted along the chain. And I suppose and that can result in different expectations with regard to price, but can also result in different costs. Um, so there, there are some of the issues there. But then going back to the point about you know value, I think that is a key thing with regards to the short food supply chains. Um, and, and consumers are buying it not just because of um, the, you know, the taste and the texture and all of those. They do value uh, the support for the local producer. They do value the benefits to the rural economy and consumers um want to be want to feel good about their purchases, not just because things taste nice, but they do want to feel good about their purchases. Um, and they do want to feel that they're making a contribution. But you know, not everybody can afford to do that if the product is more expensive. And there is certainly a gap between the intention and the behavior as we found in our research as well. And Jenny, if I could ask you about the actual supports then that are available there to assist farmers in making that decision to to move to a, a short food supply chain model, you know what's what's beyond what's within the the agro bridges, which is really obviously really practical and helpful. But you know what's the the, the support uh, landscape like there um, in Ireland, or maybe I know Spain was given an example that there was particularly good um, or, or more more. Um, more frequent uh, food, short food supply chains are been 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 um, been in use there. Yeah, um, so yeah, there definitely are kind of other other countries that are doing um, better in this than, than Ireland at the moment. But I think I think that is changing. I think the supports aren't too strong at the moment. Like I know 
there are there are a few things obviously like with labeling the regulations for kind of small arts and products are a little bit easier and than they would be for larger products but still i think um a lot of the subsidies and things are based on kind of being more large scale and export and all of that so that's something that we're hoping to see um shift somehow but you know how, how that happens is obviously very complicated but um, there would have been the the strategy the horticulture strategy the national horticultural strategy that came out so that's trying to support um, more um, shorter food supply chains as well. I don't know, is there too many kind of direct actions in there so far? Um, but at least the intention is there that we're seeing from the government already. So um, hopefully that'll, that'll play out soon. Yeah. Okay. okay. Pat, some, some interesting questions coming in from our audience. Yeah, I suppose one uh, very basic one in general, can, can food producers expect higher margins from uh, short food uh, supply chain systems compared to business in, uh, as usual? I mean, it's a fundamental uh, issue. I suppose, yeah, well, that would be a key motivation for farmers, obviously, in terms of supplying short food supply chains. Um, but I was actually at a, a webinar yesterday, which involved agribridges and two of our related projects. And one of the recommendations from that project is that we should have a full cost or economic evaluation of the, the costs of, 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 of producing for sh short food supply chains. So even though the farmer might get a higher margin, they are providing more functions. So they are providing the sales and all of that as well. So, you know, if, if you if you looked at the, what they're actually contributing, they're contributing more, they should be getting a higher cost. But whether they're they're actually being rewarded for that extra bit or not, that's uh, that would require, I suppose, a bit more detailed analysis. And it, it look, it varies on a case to case basis um, as well in terms of, you know, what you're offering, the volumes that you're offering, the, the actual short food supply chain that you're selling through. There's a lot of multiple factors there that would impact on on the you know you, there isn't a simple answer to that but you know there would need to be a consideration of the of the extra uh, extra services that are being provided um, as well I, I, there's a few issues around what exactly is defined as as uh, uh, under the the short food supply chain so for instance if you're getting into a relationship with a local supermarket to supply is that considered uh, uh, under the definition uh, I suppose a lot of our butchers uh, tend to operate on the basis of, of uh, uh, getting supply locally from local farmers and building relationships there. Is that considered uh, short uh, uh, food supply chain? And it's just as to exactly what is the definition there? There's there's different definitions. I suppose during the project we would have decided on one to work with for the three years. Um, but like I said, it's as few links as possible. So I mean, definition varies what we kind of took for this is um we took a national approach for ireland um and yeah with with a maximum of one intermediary and ideally what we would have looked at is that intermediary being a small local business um to kind of boost it because that, that supports also boosting the local economy and so on um as opposed to kind of moving to a larger retailer but again i mean if you have a local food product in a lo in a business locally, I suppose that is a short food supply chain. But, um, but again, we would be trying to kind of promote um, other types of businesses. And I suppose uh, another question there, with reference to the Irish market, uh, do you see that there is a, a a significant opportunity for food producers here? And what are the the factors that need to be brought to bear if that's going to to materialise? 
suppose let's say how do you define significant i suppose is the question yeah. there um you know i i think there is a lot of potential for short food supply chains uh the you know and 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 you know jenny gave the example of the community supported agriculture there's a lot of urban agriculture there's grow your own um, and then there's quite unique um um short food supply chains such as the airfield estate in dublin you know which is kind of that urban farm which very much has that educational purpose um as well so i suppose if if, if we're trying to think about um, having more sustainable food systems, trying to engage producers and consumers, get people to understand about short foods, about food, how it's produced, the costs and, and benefits associated with it. I think we do need to put a push on short food supply chains from that, I suppose, educational uh, perspective, the extent to which it will be a significant um, diversification opportunity for farmers. That very much depends on, you know, uh, the motivations of farmers uh, and depends on, you know, their ex- their ex- their proximity to, to centres of, of agriculture. But I think, you know, regardless of the size um, or the, the, the significance of the opportunity, I think anything that allows us to question and and think about how we can develop more sustainable food systems. You know, has to be has to be considered and has to be uh, evaluated, uh, because you know there are challenges with our conventional system. We can work within the system to address some of them, but we really have to be a bit more creative in thinking about how can we change the system. And I think short food supply chains in the the range of of business models that exist, I think have to be have to be part of that to some extent, um, at least. Can I ask just uh, in relation to the, um, the kind of more macro level uh, of, of food security uh, within Ireland? I know it's, it's, I, I was looking at an article there that was saying that Ireland is the second most food secure country in the world. But again, I suppose that's depending on what parameters you're looking at. And um, I was I was I was uh, telling you earlier on, I was having this conversation with my daughter last night about uh, food uh, supply chains, uh, secure food security and I mean, surely there those benefits as well of, you know, if, you know, from a, a risk mitigation perspective uh, that foods, uh, short food supply chains have, have a have a, a role to play there. And um, that that would mean that, that there should be more support for these types of uh, uh, types of uh, uh, models uh, to, to try and mitigate against that risk. Look, we saw last year, was it uh, where? Uh, the invasion of Ukraine, uh, there was concerns about uh, grain supplies. Um, and uh, now that that has dissipated to some degree, but, uh, you know, we're 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 only one uh, uh, invasion away from a similar thing happening again. So I just be interested in your thoughts, comments on that. Yeah, I think um, I think I think like it depends on the food product, particularly as well, like, in, like you know, when it comes to beef, if you know, we couldn't export so much anymore if anything happened or whatever. We, you know, we're definitely food secure in that sense because we export so much of it. But when it comes to fruit and vegetables, we're very much not. And you're seeing it like I think there was an article maybe last year in the Farmers Journal. There's businesses closing down, like large um, you know, growers closing down and um, closing down their business. Um, but we are seeing a lot of um smaller kind of organic farm businesses opening up now as well, which is great. And I think there is a market for that. If you go into most of the organic shops across Ireland, at least the ones that I've been into, they're stocking a lot of organic fruit and veg from the Netherlands and from Spain. And um, so that's a market that you know producers can easily tap into. And if we were able to produce that ourselves, um, and then we could be food secure in, in that sense as well, because I mean we have the land for it and everything. Especially if we're exporting so much of our food, then we definitely have 
enough lands to um, to produce for ourselves. Well, there are probably yeah. a bigger, bigger issues, I suppose. You know, Jenny referred to the horticultural sector there. I suppose you yeah. know there there are plans to develop the horticultural sector and, and enhance that and and things like you know the protein strategy that's been developed at EU level. You know, there are things that we could be doing in Ireland as well. We have a number of projects at the moment looking at more plant based proteins. We have you know three big projects: Valproapath, a protein eye, and U protein that are all looking at how we can you know develop more plant based proteins including cereals and legumes and other crops as well. So there, there's lots I think we can do and, mm. and probably need to do as well. Yeah. And and we have, Maeve, we have a, a minister who's responsible for uh, organics and, and biodiversity. If we were to have a minister for responsible for short food supply chains, uh, what would, what would you think, what would you say should be on top of their agenda if they were to, 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 to look at improving the situation? I, I think um, I, you know the, the minister for the responsibility for horticulture is located in the um, in Department of Agriculture, but I think if we had somebody on short food supply chains, it's it's a much broader issue, and I think it very much ties in with uh, urban policy and and you know cities like Ghent, for example, they have um, what's the, the, the they have um, a strategy around f- sustainable foods, and, and other cities across Europe have that as well, and it's very much tied in with the health agenda. So I think that minister would have to straddle health, agriculture, mm. and urban. Um, so I'm not sure what you'd call that minister, but I think whatever that minister mm. would do would ha- um, would have to to try to link those three elements. And um, if they were trying to develop short food support, short food and, and the types of supports then, Maeve, like you talked about collaborative uh, arrangements, like producer groups, they 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 have proven very successful in in other parts of the of Europe, from what I've observed. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, there are some supports available for those kind of things. But again, you know, going back to the infrastructure, you know, supports does need to be available to to, to, to provide farmers markets and infrastructure around that. Um, supports need to be available to farmers. Um, you know, there's a lot of training and supports already available to farmers to help them with selling, developing their websites and things like that. Those supports, I suppose, are already there. Um, and just, I suppose, need to be need to be maybe packaged um, a little bit for for short food supply chain. Well, there's there's an election in the offing, Maeve, so maybe you might uh, <laughs> consider. Pass, uh, pass, lots. Yeah, more no, and I suppose again going back to 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 definition and and given the size of the market here and the and the size relative size of European markets, is it a complete contradiction in terms to consider uh, Irish food? And artisan food and local and uh, uh, I suppose artisan and small farmer produced foods being exported in some way to other European countries to uh, I suppose take advantage of the the, the uh, small markets the farmer markets that are are there in those countries is it is that a complete contradiction of where we should be go, going and thinking? Um. Uh, not necessarily, I'd say. And it goes back to how you define short food supply chains as well. There's been some work that would talk about short food supply chains in terms of being spatially extended. So you think about uh, products um, uh, like the, the Burn Smokehouse and some of our some of our salmon smoked salmon producers, they have very strong markets in Germany and they're selling direct uh, to small retailers and consumers there. So there are opportunities, I think, to do something like that. Now, I suppose the question is then, you know, we have to think about from an environmental impact perspective, you know, 
are, what is that contributing to in terms of environmental impact? Your 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 your, your transport might be less efficient, um, but you, you know you you are um, supporting the the rural economy in in Clare in this instance, um, and you know you you have sustainable production systems. You have small volumes. You're not overfishing. You know, so there's a lot of things like that there. So I think the the concept of spatially extended short food supply chains, where you can have direct sales is viable and for certain products for Ireland we can have very successful businesses in that space I think. So it's not a total contradiction in terms. In terms of the supports that are available for for uh, the establishment of markets of for farmers or for groups of farmers to, to establish a market uh, are, are there supports there? Uh, I know it sometimes is, is supported by local local governments but there's a lot of, I suppose, support schemes there for farmers. Is this an area that's been left out? I don't think it's left out. I think I think there are supports there. They're more kind of general schemes than they would be kind of directly targeted. Um, like, I don't know if maybe, I don't know, for small markets or things, maybe leader funding or something would be more appropriate for, for a business to, um, to, to open a kind of small market or something like that. But, um, but yeah, there aren't, I suppose there aren't targeted, um, target, targeted supports like that. Okay. And uh, you've mentioned it already. Is the dramatic uh, increase in in organic farming that has uh, started over the last couple of years is that a real opportunity to to develop this this uh, this sector? I I believe so. I think especially with one of the benefits of short food supply chains being that you have like local, ideally unprocessed, you know, healthy fresh products. You know, from when you harvest something to you know the longer time passes, the less fresh it is and the less nutritious it is. Um, so I think if if that's kind of one of our aims is to have um, healthy food on our plates locally, um, then I think I think then organic is obviously the the way to go. And I think there's there's it, it's growing, and I think that it can keep growing and it, as it should because it's it's good for us. <laughs> No, you're going to finish. I'll mention just just one thing. You talked to Jennifer at the very beginning about the off size and the off shape uh, uh, produce, and just a, an initiative that my daughter, who lives in in Wellington, New Zealand, she gets what she, what's called a wonky box each yep. each week, which is the off size, the ones that nobody wants, and they're but they're perfect. Uh, yep. So that the. A, a kind of an idea that uh, that somebody came up with, and uh, yeah. rather absolutely, yeah. Why not? Why not have something like that here in Ireland? Yeah, absolutely. We have to come up with a name, Pat. <laughs> um, okay, we're we're, 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 we're we're slightly over time. Uh, thanks for for bearing with us. Uh, but really, really interesting subject, which I think we're going to hear lots more about over the next uh, number of months and and uh, years. Um, but my thanks to Jennifer uh, and Maeve for joining us today. And um, at, at just the project, we've sent out a link to that. What stage is the project at? Is it, it near completion? Um, yeah, so the project will finish in December, but the toolbox is released um, as of last month. So it's it's out there in free, free to use. Great. And the main thing is, yes, it is free and there's lots of free resources out there. So we do encourage people to to look into that. I suppose my own bugbear is that a lot of the supports coming from uh, the the government side tend to be financial or uh, structural. And, and sometimes you actually need people to to make these things happen. So uh, I think there's, there's an area to, to, to work on there. 
So thank you so, so much for joining us today. Next week, uh, we'll be joined by Dr. Finbar O'Regan, who is inspector with the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. And he is going to be talking to us about the National Fertilizer, Fertilizer Database, which has just been introduced in Ireland. And so I know there's lots of questions around that whole area. So if you do uh, have any any uh, outstanding questions, join us next Friday morning for uh, that session with, with Finbar O'Regan. So until next week, enjoy the weekend and uh, thanks for joining us this morning and uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks again. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagask.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.